Hi everyone, welcome back to CEN Podcast. As promised, we will be diving into international waters today. But before we get into it, Samantha will deliver us a weekly news update. The CDC's mask mandate for travelers is no longer in effect on airplanes and other public transport methods following a federal judge's ruling Monday. This includes Delta Airlines, American Airlines, United Airlines, Southwest Airlines, Alaska Airlines, and JetBlue. And for Houstonians, Houston Metro has also, uh, has also lifted a mask mandate. Senator Bernie Sanders said in a recent memo that he is open to running in the 2024 election if President Biden declines to seek re-election. Sanders, native of Vermont, considers himself a democratic socialist. He is the longest independent. And some issues he cares about are unions, minimum wage, and affordable health care. If he were to run, Sanders, who turned 80 last year and is a year older than Biden, would be among the oldest candidates in the running for the U.S. president in 2024. New Mexico Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham on Friday signed Senate Bill 140, the New Mexico Opportunity Scholarship Act, making college tuition free for most New Mexicans and establishing the most wide-reaching tuition-free scholarship program in the United States. The government signed the legislation alongside college students in a ceremony at Western New Mexico University in Silver City, where more than 125 students have already benefited from the scholarship. Now on to Arely, who's going to start our middle segment. For today's News and Dash, I'll be talking about a tragic death that was caused due to the Russian and Ukraine war. Her name is Vonda S., and she was known as one of the oldest Holocaust survivors at the age of 91. Eight decades ago, Vonda hid inside her basement from German soldiers invading Ukraine during the Holocaust. She was 10 when the Germans swarmed into Mariupol in October 1941 and began rounding up Jews for execution. The Gestapo captured and killed her mother and several other Jewish relatives. Vonda told interviewers from the foundation in 1998. Later, when it was safer to come out, Vonda was moved to a series of hiding places outside of Mariupol. And when questioned by the Germans, family friends insisted that she was Greek and not Jewish. Finally, Vonda's father, who was not Jewish, Jewish, checked her into a hospital to pass her out, pass her off as a patient, and that's where she stayed until the city was liberated in 1943. Now, March 2022, Vonda relived this moment once again as Russian Russian soldiers invaded her hometown. When the Russians began bombarding Mariupol in March. Vonda and her family found a hiding place in the basement of a nearby store that had no heat or water or electricity. Thankfully, Vonda's daughter was able to escape Maripol. Before escaping, she and her husband buried Vonda, who didn't make it out, with the help of her neighbors in a public park less than a mile from the Sea of Azov. Everyone remembers Vonda as a sweet and loving person. Vonda's story emerged as the last of the Ukrainian forces were preparing to make their final stand against the Russians. As for my first question, I would like to ask if this is a prime example of history repeating itself. I think it is just because, um, I mean, she survived the Holocaust and now she died because of another war. And so, yeah. Yeah, I definitely think it's history repeating itself because Wanda, Wanda was in the basement. And there's like a lot of stories and during World War II where like a lot of Jewish people were hiding in basements for days or even weeks without going outside. I just imagine the kind of strength that a person has to have to make it through the Holocaust mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. to try to be strong for your family now, knowing that you may not make it out this time. Yeah. That alone is enough to make me stop and think about how we are kind of watching history repeat itself, especially with Putin's 
um, actions that he's taking towards the Ukraine and then the messaging that he's putting out in Russia as far as like controlling the media and the propaganda and all of that. And I think that I think this is a great example of history starting over. Mm-hmm. Um, but hopefully we'll see a difference in how long it lasts in the response to it. Yeah. Now on to Jose with um, his, his news and dash. So for my news and dash, I'll be summarizing an article from CNN uh, called More Rain Expected Across South Africa's East Coast as Flooding Death Troll Rises to 395. In KwaZulu-Natal, a province in South Africa, nearly 400 people have died from severe rains and wind last week. It was described by the regional government as one of the darkest moments in the history of KwaZulu-Natal. Roads were cracked, homes were destroyed, and over 40,000 people have been affected by the floods. Bridges were swept away and the storms leaving people stranded. Although severe weather is common, according to research published in the journal Natural Climate Change, 85% of the global population has experienced weather events made worse by climate change. For decades, scientists have warned us about untold human suffering if we do nothing about climate change. Now, unfortunately, South Africans are experiencing what scientists have been trying to warn us about. Scientists believe we have around 10 years until damage from climate change becomes irreversible. So my question is, what change would you like to see happen in the future to reduce climate change rates? I would like to see the world come to an agreement on what they want to do. Because I think right now, everybody, every country has a different plan. And until there's some sort of unity around the idea, I don't think that we'll see much change happen. Mm -hmm. I also feel like there has to be like an acceptance that it does exist. Or that it is a thing because I feel like there's a lot of like people that don't think it's true that don't believe it's true still and so like that's just not making not helping in the progress mm-hmm. on brainstorming solutions and so yeah I feel like we need to educate everybody and show that their actions like do cause harm because a lot of people always excuse their behavior by saying like oh it's just like like my actions won't affect what's going on, but it is because because if you keep you keep that mindset, you're just gonna keep doing it and doing it, and it's just gonna end up in more pollution. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like I feel like people should like like people should feel responsible like for the things they do, like for example, leaving trash. Like they should throw it away whenever they see trash, even if it's not theirs. Um, or like not wasting as much water. Mm-hmm. Um, when they're like brushing your teeth or showering but yeah yeah I agree with that because in like I'll just like in my classroom I cleaned out the bins three times today and I've thrown away so much paper that gets left in here mm-hmm. and even still I just noticed there's like four handouts that were left in here for my last period that are wasted and then I've also found like water bottles that were barely drinking out of in the bins and so i use them to go water my little succulents and then i throw it away but it's like like people need should stop being so wasteful there's no need for you to leave your papers around or you know open a water bottle and then not drink it like you should at least drink it and then repurpose it and use it for something else mm-hmm. or get a um what are those called the reusable, reusable water bottles yeah, yeah. now i'll pass it on to samantha we're going to for my news and dash, I'll be summarizing NPR article, A Dictator's Son Who's Running Who's Running for Philippines President in a Bid to Revive His Family's Power. 
According to NPR, decades after dictator Ferdinand Marcos was ousted in a popular uprising that laid bare the brutality and sweeping corruption of his regime, his son is poised to revive the family's political fortunes in next month's presidential elections. In the race to replace outgoing president Rodrigo Duterte, the latest polling shows that the 64-year-old Ferdinand Marcos Jr. is maintaining a significant, if slightly, receding lead. Supporters feel like they've been proven right in supporting him and opponents see an assault on the country's fragile democracy. The elder Marcos is described as capable, brilliant, cunning, utterly rapacious by historian Joseph Solis. But what lingers in popular popular memory is corruption and theft, he says. The Marcos administration military rule was brutal. Solis says the Marcos era saw the warrantless arrest of 70,000 people, the deaths of nearly 4,000, the stifling of free speech, and the persecution of political rivals. Former First Lady Imelda Marcos recalled stuffing diamonds into diapers in the rush to escape abroad a U.S. Air Force plane. Ferdinand Marcos Jr., however, hopes to rewrite the Marcos legacy. Since returning from exile, the younger Marcos has occupied, served as a member of Congress and Senator, compiling what critics say is a legislative record of no particular distinction. In 2016, he lost a close contest for vice president. He is campaigning for president as a unifying candidate, even as critics argue his family has neither apologized for nor properly accounted for its past behavior. In a bid to revive the past, Marcos narrates polished videos that portray his parents as philanthropists and his father as a great innovator, sidestepping any mention of human rights abuses or theft of the national treasury. It is easy to believe this, too, because textbooks in Philippine high schools have never taught the crimes of the martial law era. Such myth-making glorifies a period of tyranny and corruption in which Marcos, the son, was as invested as his parents, Sully says. For my question, do you think voters should care more about his family's past or more about what he says? I think they should consider both. Um, Like, and they did some pretty bad things in the past. They should definitely consider it. And like, if they're saying that they're going to change or something like that, then I think you should also consider that. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I like, at the end of the day, I think they should consider both. I would say both as well, especially because I, since his family hasn't taken responsibility for what they've done, it has like it has created kind of damage for him and his whole like election thing because then people won't trust him and they're gonna see him as like why should we trust him? Like maybe he's gonna end up just like his family, mm-hmm. but then at the same time, like maybe you don't know, maybe he's different. Yeah, yeah. I think it comes down to what he's saying that he you know, he wants to rewrite the past and change his family's legacy, things like that. Like, mm-hmm. in my head, that should mean that you automatically apologize for what your family did. Like, mm-hmm. you should acknowledge and then apologize and say, I plan to make it better by doing this, this, and this. But if he's not apologizing and trying to just repaint their image rather than acknowledge what they did, then that tells me that he's probably not much different from his father. And so in thinking about his family's past and what he's saying, it's like, well, you know, your actions are not really meeting your words. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't speak well for the Philippines. Yeah. I was going to mention the, um, like, repainting his family's image because he never, like, apologized. And he instead was like, they're good people. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. 
And so I feel like they need to consider that and also do more research on other candidates mm -hmm. as well, not just him. Right. Mm -hmm. I would agree with that. Now on to Ms. Yupon for her news and dash. Well, for my news and dash, <laughs> I'm so excited to share mine. Um, we are talking about a tiny little village in northwestern Spain. It is called uh, Ureña, which is a population of 100 people. And that is it. It is a tiny little village. However, within this population of 100 people, there are 11 bookshops that are thriving in this tiny little village. Um, in Uruenya, um, they are trying to make themselves a literary hub for book lovers all over the world. And in doing so, they've increased their tourism, but not their population. So they're going, they're trying not to become irrelevant as like a little area, but they're just this tiny little village that sits on a hilltop in Spain that values books. And I just, I thought that that was beautiful because, you know, um, I think our world today has moved so far past just opening a book and reading it. Mm -hmm. And I, it's very rare to find people who value the classics and value this idea of increasing literacy and increasing access to reading and things like that. And here you have just this tiny little village in the middle of nowhere in Spain that they've centered their whole economy around is books and book selling and getting people to read. Um, and so, some of the things they like their government subsidizes some of the stores to help like keep them in the shops or to keep them being successful as shops um and people are like earning full living wages by running these these bookstores so if you get the chance for our listeners and yourselves y'all should look it up because they have some really cool pictures of some of the bookstores and they have little festivals throughout the year and people go there to just see the village and things like that but my question is well i have two questions one why do we think that book reading has decreased as far as a hobby for people? And two, do you think it's important for communities to value book reading in the way that this little town has valued it? I think for the first question, the reason like the reason why book reading has started to decrease more it's especially because we have like all this media like Netflix, Hulu, all these um what do you call them? Networks that mm -hmm. that make like the books into a movie so people don't have to sit there and read the book for like five hours or like a week. They can just watch the movie and they'll just tell you everything that the book has. Yeah, I agree. Like technology today has advanced so much. Um like we have Apple Watches and we have iPhones, like we can just use which are much easier to use. Um, then books, and we can also use, or we can also play video games. Like I like to play video games, and I find those more interesting than books. But um, back then, Jesus, like, <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> but uh, in the 1900s, they didn't have you know consoles, mm -hmm. so that's why I'm pretty sure they use books. Um, I also think that another reason is um, the fact that no, I just blanked out. Um, the fact that um, we are having a momentary break. <laughs> over. Just like my mind went blank. Sorry, <laughs> listeners, we're feeling that end of year tired. <laughs>
I think I what I love about this is I grew up as an avid reader and I have read my my like reading was my escape and I would immerse myself in another world that was different from my own and for me that's what all the joy of a book brought and when I got into adulthood and I had to start working my ability, like, not my ability to read, no, my time, my ability to have time to read decreased. And I've just started to kind of get back into it where I'm like forcing myself to spend 30 minutes a day reading. And I forgot how much I missed it. So it made me really happy to see that, like, there are other people just like me, tiny little community, but still people who valued it. Okay, well, I, I remember what I was going to say. Um, I was going to say that, like, another reason why I think that um, reading is just not a thing that people do anymore as a hobby is because of, like, I guess the bad or, like, the nerdy image mm. it has. In yeah. Way. Like, people bash other people who read or, I don't know, like, personally, I've been, like, I, I like reading. It's one of my hobbies. I recently got out of my reading slump because... I didn't have time for reading anymore, mm-hmm. but I recently read a book that I really, really liked, and some people were telling me that, like, why are you reading, like, just, because there's a movie coming out for that book as well, so, oh, like, just, it? it's, um, it ends with us. Oh. Yeah. I haven't heard of that. It's a really good book. I really liked it, but um, they were telling me, like, just wait for the movie, like, this and that. I was like, no, I, I personally prefer reading the books over the mm-hmm. movie, because you get, like, more detail and I like reading books for the imagery. I don't know. I just really like I really like reading books. Yeah. So for our listeners, pick up a book if you haven't <laughs> and read. Jose. <laughs> um I asked the second question. What was my second question? What we, oh why is it important that a community try to value reading within its before its people? Why is it important that communities value reading? I feel like it just starts conversations. Like, mm-hmm. um, I've heard, like, even the United States, they have, like, I think it's called Little Libraries, where, like, they put, like, um, it's like a mailbox, mm-hmm. and, like, you can put books you have already read, and they can, like, yeah, and that just builds relationships with the neighborhoods, and, like, I feel like it's a really small village as well, like, um, it just makes conversation. It builds relationships. You you can talk about your favorite books with people, and so I feel like that's something that that I personally enjoy as well. It's like with reading, mm-hmm. I was able to talk to the fr- my friends who also read the same book I did. And so yeah, that's something I like. Mm-hmm. Also, I agree with Samantha, but I want to add that like you can in- you can also interpret the book different ways mm-hmm. based on like how your personality is. And that can also help, like, make discussion. Also kind of, like, arguing. But, like, the good arguing. <laughs> yeah, I agree with both of them. I feel like say kind of the same thing as someone just said. Um... <laughs> oh, no, not another <laughs> one. Uh, <laughs> um, wait, what was the question? <laughs> Why is it important that communities value reading? Oh, okay. So I think communities value reading. All right, it's important for communities to value reading because, like, I don't know, just educating yourself, like, there's a lot of books where you can educate yourself on, like, st- like stories from, like, wars or, like, other past conflicts. And it's just so interesting because you can also, like, see different ideas from, like, different people from both sides. And so it's, like, very interesting. And, like, 
you can just gather like different ideas from other people who, too who read those books. So it's like very important. I I agree with everything that y'all said. I also want to end with reading builds confidence. To be able to read a passage and understand it is power, right? Because you can take what you learn from that passage, however you interpret it, and apply it to your life and to your conversations and to your relationships with people. And it breaks my heart when people struggle with reading because at some point in their life, someone didn't value it enough to teach them the kind of power they would have if they could read. And so like that's best part of like why being an educator is so important to me because I want my students to be able to read, um, you know, government documents and things related to their financial literacy. Like I want you guys to be able to read those things and understand them and then use the power that it gives you to be successful in your economic lives, but also in your political choices and what you choose to support. So with that, that ends our middle segment. Um, thank you for our, our news and dash. It's been a long time since we've done that. So I will turn it over to Aureli with our surprise spooky story. So for today's spooky story, I'll be talking about the disappearance of Elizabeth Campbell. On the night of April 25th, 1988, 20-year-old college student Elizabeth Campbell of Lamp Passes, Texas, had a fight with her boyfriend. 45 minutes later, Ricky, her boyfriend, says she called him, says Elizabeth called him from a payphone 11 miles away. That phone call was the last one anyone has ever heard from Elizabeth Campbell. Elizabeth lived a fairly sheltered life at home, but was planning to go to Texas A&M in the fall. Her father, Tom Campbell, was immediately worried when she disappeared. He claimed it's out of character for her not to tell her mother where she was or where or when she wasn't at home. Elizabeth's parents immediately dis distributed thousands of flyers throughout Central Texas. Only six days after she was reported missing, a girl matching Elizabeth's description was spotted by con by convenience store clerk Roger N. Anwan, about 85 miles from where she disappeared. Roger claimed that he saw Elizabeth with a man, but he was very harsh with her, to the point where she looked uncomfortable or scared to be around him. Then another eyewitness, Michelle Preston, came forward with a second sight, sighting of the couple that matched the first in nearly every detail. Despite these, despite these two sightseeings, local police were not convinced that Elizabeth was the young woman under the control of the rough-looking man. But two months later, on July 10th, a woman named Virgie Johnson claimed to have seen Elizabeth, this time at a gas station over 150 miles from Killen. The Campbells feared that Elizabeth was being forced to work as a prostitute. To this, to this day, Elizabeth has not been found, but, but her parents refused to give up. Her father added, there's no way we can give up until we find out where she is, what's happened to her. She's our daughter, not what somebody's trying to make her. She'll always be our little girl. Hopefully one day, Elizabeth will be reunited with her family. Sadly, Tom Campbell, Elizabeth's father, has passed away and was left without knowing any whereabouts about Elizabeth. Now onto Jose with our closing. Hold on, you can't end on that. <laughs> <laughs> so the police never explored any of the eyewitness accounts? No, I I was like reading, like the website that I was in, it was like so people can help solve the crime or like the mystery. Oh. And as I was reading the comments, like I noticed that a lot of people like we're blaming like officers and our and like the police department for not doing anything, and especially because this was this happened like a long time ago. I think mm -hmm. like nineteen sixty six. Like mm -hmm. that's when she was born. 
and she was like an, a senior so it, it was a pretty long time ago and most cases that that like never have like a leading they tend to like die down and that's why like they like i guess forgot about her wow yeah that's really sad well for our crime junkies out there not to name the podcast also the podcast crime junkies you could listen to it um but for our crime people not only should you pick up books but maybe we should work to solve the disappearance of elizabeth campbell yeah it was so sad when i read that last part yeah that's really sad now until the are closing again <laughs> well thank you for being here i hope you enjoyed our international visits Please join us next week where Mr. Paul will have a surprise topic for us. Bye. Bye. Bye.